Welcome to the Ether. Today is Thursday, May 11th, 2023. Today on the Ether, Cosmos EVM Interoperable Family, hosted by Axelar Network. Let's take a listen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Cosmos to EVM and back Twitter space, hosted by Axelar. My name's Galen. I'm the content lead at Axelar, and I'm going to be... Uh, shepherding you through this uh long, this good list of projects we got to talk to today we're gonna try to break things up a little bit we've got a group of d5 projects i think we're gonna kick things off with them then we've got some staking projects in the mix stake dow is here uh and um i think we're looking at a couple of others as well uh and then we've got gaming and nft we'll try to go through each of those categories and get a good discussion going on with some of the projects that are building, combining the best of both worlds, looking at what's happening in uh, Cosmos, EVM, and beyond. We've got some projects here building beyond the Cosmos and EVM world as well. Looking at Prime Protocol, uh, I see um, Colton is in the mix right here from Prime. Hey, Colton, how you doing? Hey, doing well, Galen. Thanks for having us. Yeah, really exciting to see the, uh, the Prime Protocol launch earlier this week. We've seen some of the numbers coming through over Axelar scan, uh, and it's it's impressive. And um, the product is is impressive as as you know. That's no that's no news to me. Uh, but interested to hear from you, kind of just real quick. How's it going so far? Mainnet launch this week. Are you are you uh, are you still with us? Are you still among the living? How's the team? <laughs> yeah, it's it's certainly been uh, a lot going on, and we've been really trying to make sure we're giving good support to everybody and. Um, making sure everything goes smoothly, uh, but we've you know, definitely been impressed with the interest so far. Um, we haven't even turned on any incentives, and there's clearly some uh, some cross chain borrowing demand. Um, you know, we have uh, around half a million of TVL already. I think we're probably on track to cross seven figures this week, and um, you know, the, the community I, I think is really loving the product and also looking forward to all of the new chains and assets. Uh, we uh, only launched with four chains and uh, a limited selection of assets to borrow and lend. So uh, now that everything's gone smoothly, I'm pretty excited to start scaling and uh, see how big this thing can get. Nice. Nice. Well, let's let me just kind of introduce some of the others from the um, from the DeFi group that we've got here. I know, Fig, you're on from Squid. Hey, Fig, how you doing? Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks for being here. <laughs> thanks for having me. Doing great, thanks. Doing great. Um, Squid, of course, is a cross-chain liquidity router and uh, Dex facilitating cross-chain swaps. Uh, if you if you haven't checked them out yet, SquidRouter.com uh, is is a good place to learn a little bit about what they're doing. Um, and we've got also Shade Protocol. Uh, I think on the call here somewhere. Yep, right here. Hey. 
How's it going? Who's on from the shade team? Uh, Carter here, the hey, lead Carter. researcher and economist. Thanks for having me on. Great. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually super interested to, to learn more about what you guys are building over at shade focused on privacy and DeFi. Uh, certainly a pertinent issue at any time, no time more than the present. Uh, Umi, Umi's on, I believe also from the kind of the DeFi sector. Anybody from Umi? Yeah, here? I'm here. How's it going, man? Awesome. Yeah, great. And we could talk a little bit about, I mean, I think we started off with Prime there talking with Colton and Umi. I'm, I'm curious kind of your, your take on the, on the world of cross-chain uh, lending and kind of what's possible there these days. Why don't we start things off with that? I guess we can kind of get into a little bit of kind of, I feel like, you know, if you look back at DeFi, right, the, the first kind of enthusiasm about DeFi, you know, DEXs have existed for a while, but that DeFi summer really took off with um, some of these uh, passive income and, and uh, borrowing type of products. Um, you know, not sure exactly how to analogize with the traditional finance world, but this, you know, that sort of um, uh, debt category is, is among, you know, continues to be among the most compelling and maybe is kind of entering a new phase at this point with cross-chain opportunities. So curious how you're seeing that uh, over at UMI right now. Yeah, I mean, the demand has been huge so far. Um, kind of like what Colton was talking about, we launched um, this year and we've grown pretty much, um, I bet, we're a little bit above $12 million in liquidity right now at this point. So we've seen some high demand, no incentives or anything like that at this point. And just the natural sort of organic growth has been uh, pretty spectacular. We have a lot of plans on how to incentivize going forward to grow even more. Um, but the demand, especially with things like uh, liquid staking derivatives and just native stable coins within the ecosystem is, is what I think is going to drive the growth primarily from here. Um, and we've been seeing a lot of that with things like leverage staking strategies and some other strategies that we're hoping to introduce, um, like something new called anchored strategy, uh, anchored staking um, that I think will help take the ecosystem even further. Anchored staking. What's um, talk about that a little bit. Can you kind of give the, the outlines of that? Yeah. So the idea here is um, Cosmos is one of the most unique ecosystems because of its highly inflationary tokens. I think a lot of people mm -hmm. talk about that in a bad way, but it, when it comes to liquid staking derivatives, it's actually um, sort of a strength if you, if you sort of tie the strategy correctly. And so what I mean by that is the average leverage staking um, yield, you're depositing in an asset, say ST Osmo, ST um adam and you're getting about a 20 percent yield um the average borrow rate is 10 percent or less and so you're gaining 10 percent every loop and so what you can do is instead of just doing a straight up leverage staking strategy you can anchor that strategy um with what we would call an anchor asset um something like a bitcoin or a eth um especially like an eth staking derivative um and what you can do there is use that as your base asset borrow say the Oz, like Osmo or Atom, and then do a leverage staking loop from there. And you can pretty, with a relatively low risk profile, you can earn about 10% or more on things that don't typically earn 10%, like an ETH or like a Bitcoin. And so it's a great way to bring yield to non-yield bearing tokens um, in a way that's not really possible in other ecosystems. And so if you look across the board at different, like, any different sort of yield generating strategy for those tokens this is one of the highest ones without price risk because ultimately they're borrowing the asset um borrowing one of the cosmos assets in order to do this strategy so there's less price risk associated with the volatility of cosmos assets and it's actually just a, a great way for folks from like eth or from other ecosystems 
to get into Cosmos without having to bear that volatility. That makes sense. That's cool. Uh, you know, and actually, speaking of strategies, I think we've got um, we've got Josh from Sommelier on, on here, right? Josh, are you there? Yep. Thanks. Awesome. Hey, yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, so just like maybe actually let me pause for a second and just kind of outline how we're going to set this up. I, I, I've been on a few of these kind of uh, ecosystem AMAs where, where it's like, you know, you, you kind of wait for like 45 minutes and then you get your five minutes, you know, and then you talk for five minutes and then next person's turn or whatever. I, I, I don't think we're going to do it that way because uh, that sucks uh, for everyone. So um, what, what I'd like to do is just sort of focus on topics. As I mentioned, we've got a handful of great uh, DeFi projects in the room here. We've got Prime, we've got Shade Protocol, Sommelier, uh, Squid, and Umi uh, all here. So we can kind of, you know, we can break that up a little bit, talk about, um, you know, passive income, and we can talk about trading as well. Um, and then we've got a, couple, a few great uh, staking uh, protocols as well, uh, liquid staking projects, Persistence, StakeDAO, and Stride uh, are all here. And I think we're actually at the upper limit of how many speakers we can add at one time. So if, um, if folks are like still waiting to get in, um, you know, we'll, we'll sort of rotate in as we as we kind of move from topic to topic. Um, and then, uh, you know, last but not least, by any means, NFTs and games. Um, probably actually the most exciting of the, of the, of the topics here, you know, always, always put the milk at the back of the supermarket, right? Uh, Mint Dow is on the line. I think, uh, Rekt Gang as well. And Saga, I see Rebecca from Saga here. Hey, Rebecca. Um, super great to have, to have a, a strong cohort in that area on as well. So with that in mind, anybody who's listening, if you want to, you know, ask a question at any time, um, you know, during the during the during the ama just either post it in the comments or uh, raise your hand we'll try to um you know we'll try to jump right in and and get your questions answered as we're moving through these topics so uh with all of that said um you know back to sort of as you as you mentioned right uh, uh brandon uh from umi the um the kind of the strategy aspect of thinking about how do you approach passive income and cosmos how do you approach it in um, and another ecosystem, you know, even, even that level is like, I think pretty sophisticated for, um, for a lot of users who are, you know, sort of getting their heads around crypto in the first place is enough of a, of a task and, and you have enough reading material to get through what, what um, t tell us a little bit, if you could, Josh, how someone is kind of approaching that problem of, of, um, you know, making uh, kind of more sophisticated strategies available to, um, to users in, in web three. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, our mission at Somalia is to make DeFi more, you know, accessible, profitable, and efficient. We believe that DeFi is an extremely powerful, like, sector because of the transparency, the, you know, general empowerment available. And so, but at the same time, like, monitoring positions on chains, researching new protocols, like, to be really successful in DeFi is just a huge lift. And it, we believe it doesn't have to be. So... We create these intelligent vaults that can like predict, react, optimize, and evolve uh, to the changing DeFi landscape. And what that means for you as a user is like, hey, I bring my asset, maybe it's ETH, right? And I want to earn the best ETH yield, but I really don't know what to do. And so we do all that heavy lifting for you. So integrate with the top blue chip protocols, have a strategist sort of monitoring the market. and allocating to those different DeFi opportunities. So for ETH, like CBETH is the hot thing right now. And then there's also this Steeth loop. So like leverage staking loop. So just playing between those different opportunities as they arise is really what we're all about. So 
Can you give me yeah. the Eli five on um, on on the on the couple of the strategies you just mentioned? Like how, how do those, uh, for example, the staking loop? How does that work? What, you know, what does that yield for the for the user? Yeah. So we have two really successful uh, products so far. So the first is uh, uh, best in class stablecoin vault. So it has about twelve million in TVL, one of the largest DeFi vaults on Ethereum. It takes USDC, Dai, and USDT and optimizes those across Aave, Compound, and Uniswap V3. So basically what's happening is it's playing the lending rates on Aave and Compound and picking the highest one there and then doing uh, concentrated LP uh, liquidity providing on Uniswap V3. Uniswap V3 is an underrated source of yield. So you're getting like 5 to 6% is what we've been averaging in organic yield. And then the ETH vault is doing some of the same things, but with a little bit of leverage. So doing leverage staking on Aave, so it takes the LSTs, you know, uh, borrows against them accordingly to get some leverage staking going, and then does some LPing on Uniswap V3, and that's doing about 12% right now in organic ETH yield. So four to five percent for staking, and then you're getting that, you know, six to seven percent from DeFi activity. Nice and yeah, cool. Um... I, I'm I'm sort of actually I'm curious if you think about like what would it take to even do that in a in a kind of a, um if you think back like a year if somebody was pursuing strategies like that there there are multiple bridging transactions involved uh, and and you know for, like forget about even a kind of kind of the you know developing the strategy uh, you know understanding how to how to maximize yield in that way um, you're then kind of involved in a, a a fairly complex and and often risky um path of of bridging tokens cross chain in order to be able to use them in a um uh in a in a you know in a different opportunity on a different chain um curious actually maybe fig if you can kind of talk about sort of where we're getting in terms of our ability to to move beyond bridges and get tokens to where they need to be and i know like prime has a good story on this as well kind of like two different approaches but very similar where we're no longer dealing in wrapped tokens right we have uh native tokens on the the desired chain where we're looking for a yield opportunity or or whatever it is we want to do uh what does that look like from from squid's perspective yeah thanks Alan. um I guess it's all about security and UX here. Like, you want to maximize the um, the amount of native assets that you're holding compared to wrapped assets, and then um, the user experience of bridging has gone from a world where you you might have had three different wrapped assets on one chain, and now you you don't even have to think about it. You just go to the app and um, you can use whatever currency that the application accepts. Um, and what we're, yeah, what, what we're trying to do with Squid is um, using Axla and DEXs on every chain to swap into the exact token that you need. So if you're, if you're going, um, it's a slightly different way of, of, of looking at it from what Somalia is doing, but it's like you, you have an, uh, a yield opportunity on one chain and you decide you want to go you want to go into that and you should be able to get into that yield opportunity with one click so we're just doing currently the if the user has a yield opportunity that they see they're able to get to that in one click from any chain no matter what they have in their wallet um what like Somalia is is doing 
that is so incredible and like such a, a great example of interoperability is you've gotten this like very specific app chain which has been built with these superpowers that you can't do in the ethereum ecosystem or you know really without building your own chain and they're using similar like the axler stack similar to what we're doing to be able to get that experience um on top of um get the same experience that we're doing but build on top of that and have um have these like, amazing decentralized uh, yield yield vaults as well um so yeah we're just we're building the user experience stuff mostly about getting single click into anything um you've seen probably recently the express going live so everything's in 20 seconds um or less depending no matter what chain you're coming from um and yeah, really excited to see Prime go live as well. We'd love to hear Cotton speak about how things have been going. Um, been so excited for their, their pro- protocol to go live for a while, and it's really cool to see it going to mainnet. Yeah, because it's like a—I mean, just to kind of break it down in the way I understand it, it's like um, two 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 possible paths to get cross-chain in a native way, right? With Squid, you're doing a swap, which is facilitated via a routing asset uh, currently. Uh, AXL USDC, um, although I think certainly potential to use others. Um, and so you're going into that, uh, moving the, you know, you're going into that, you're, you're going over to the other chain via a wrapped asset, and then you're swapping into uh, the desired asset on the destination chain. And all of that is handled sort of behind the scenes automatically using GMP, uh, Axelor's general message passing in Prime's case, it's a little different. You continue to hang on to the um, the source chain asset, using it as collateral to borrow a native asset on the destination chain. So there's you know there are some pros and right, obviously trade offs of doing it. Well, you might prefer to do it one way to do it the other way, but the result in a way is the same. You've just you've just sort of achieved the same effect as a bridge, but you're not sitting there on the destination chain with a with a wrapped asset that could get you know uh, compromised in some way if the, if the bridge is not secure. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to jump in here. Uh, I think there's also different use cases for uh, like the prime uh, flow or the squid flow. I think in the case of squid, uh, it's if you want to go from asset A on you know, chain A to asset B on chain B, and you want the price exposure uh, of that asset that you swap into, and you're planning to hold it for a while because you're paying a one-time fee, but it's upfront whereas Prime is a variable fee over time. So uh, with Prime, if you're not sure how long you want to be holding this asset, or you don't want the, the Delta exposure to being long this asset, uh, then borrowing is the better way to go. But if you do know like, hey, I want to be a really long-term holder of this, uh, of this token, and um, I want the price exposure, uh, then you'll probably want to use Squid instead. So I think they serve uh, you know, a similar uh, part of the ecosystem and a similar UX, but it's, uh, it is a different need and can help facilitate different kinds of strategies. And ultimately, I think you need both uh, in order to be successful. Um, you need both primitives. So you can you know, go into a yield farm without having to have that price exposure, or, or you can make it to you know, the opportunity that you want and hold something longer term. I want to actually, I want to get into some of the other sort of things that Prime and Squid, you have this capability of using it as a, a kind of a component, like imposing with, with the capabilities here and, and 
plugging it into any other dApp. I mean, that's, I think, you know, that's actually something that you can do with any Web3 dApp, right? You have this permissionless capability to compose uh, with some of the, you know, not only uh, programming functions, but also the liquidity uh, and network effects that are living inside these uh, individual dApps. Uh, but but I'm especially interested in that when it comes to another project that we've got in the room here, Shade Protocol, because uh, I know Shade is is delivering some of these privacy features that are are missing in in public blockchains. Um, and I'm curious, you know, in, from Shade's perspective, kind of what what do we, you know, what, what does that look like? What does the user look like? And and kind of, you know, is is there a kind of a, if you think about sort of cross chain DeFi and cross chain transactions, what what does the you know what's the need for privacy look like there, and what does adoption look like in that category? Hundred uh, percent. So the the user story we're really interested in supporting is essentially helping protect lending positions. So right now. On Ethereum, a lot of your very large lending positions are totally transparent, all that metadata. And this introduces, you know, significant risk for um, the, the position. And so the user story we're very interested in supporting and improving the UI UX on is empowering Ethereum folks to essentially bridge over uh, assets via Axelar, uh, lock it onto Shade Lend, and then mint out Silk, uh, privacy-preserving stablecoin and then actually swap from Silk to USDC and then bridge it back over to Ethereum. And so the net result, if everything is done correctly, is your lending position is entirely private. Like you could, you could open up a massive lending position, but you're still able to uh, yield farm and participate on all your different uh, DeFi activities on whatever EVM chain that Axelar is attached to. So uh, we think there's a, a huge demand for this type of metadata uh, protection. Uh, there's just a lot of risks for people, you know, negatively impacting liquidity pools to try to guarantee cascading liquidations. Mm -hmm. And we yeah. think that privacy for trading positions, privacy for lending is going to be a really important part of onboarding institutional liquidity. And, it, and it's a very unique value add that Shape Protocol brings. I was going to say, it seems like the, so the, the, the need for that increases with the size of the position and the sophistication of the, of the, of the actor. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. And so the, the biggest problem with private DeFi today is, well, for one, private smart contracts haven't existed for uh, for very long, but most of these private DeFi ecosystems have just been transactional privacy. But Secret Network actually supports private smart contracts and has since um, 2020. And so in order to actually onboard this uh, kind of this user story, we need to be able to build out uh, significant liquidity on ShadeSwap. And so uh, two and a half weeks ago, we launched ShadeSwap. We're up to around eight million in TVL on the Dex, over four million in TVL on the the lending product. Um, it's also Silk is the largest Cosmos decentralized stablecoin. So we've seen some really good growth. It seems like the thesis is starting to play itself out. Uh, but to truly onboard ETH liquidity, we're going to have to continue to uh, attract liquidity, and that's that's the big challenge we're focused on. And we're going to do that by continuing to allow. Uh, more assets to back silk. So we're going to be looking to onboard things like Pax G, things like STETH, and then lots of other uh, quality assets uh, to, to onto Shade Land to mint out silk to continue to deepen that liquidity. Nice. The, um, uh, I mean, the, the use case, you mentioned secret. I mean, it, we're, we're obviously work pretty closely with them uh, on a number of, of cross-chain initiatives that they're involved in. And I feel like when it comes to privacy, that, that, that story is very clear, especially on the DAP chain side. Like you can really specialize. It's a difficult problem. 
you can you can hopefully get it right and then you can provide that service uh and and if you have you know true interchain composability you can plug it into uh you know any other dApps where that might be a feature that users would need right and that's in a way like that's i don't know for me it's like you know axelar is a great project because i you know kind of enjoy being a little bit behind the scenes right uh and it's like you have that sort of capability of being this component that actually makes something really great but not being the the um you know not being the the one in the front waving the banner absolutely and i think gmp is going to be there's going to be some really interesting privacy use cases where some form of a message is privately formed on secret yeah. and passed over gmp to manage something on ethereum and, and potentially vice versa so um i know secret labs as a team is like really diving into the possibilities and as an app we we continue to you know watch people like squid and admire a lot of this cross-chain stuff and we're, we're hoping to also i mean i think everyone's gonna head you know into this cross-chain environment it's just it makes sense for for users there's so much and I mean, we're, we're all building an interchain economy and gmp just really like opens the door to expand that economy beyond the cosmos to you know connecting everything awesome well, I guess with that, maybe it's a good, you know, and, and we're about 25 minutes past the hour here. It's a good opportunity to move into um, to a, a conversation on on some of the staking projects uh, that are in the room. And of course, you know, we're sort of in a, a bit of a cosmos centric uh, viewpoint here. Although, again, you know, we have uh, like Prime Protocol is doing most of their logic uh, and their, their sort of base and hub of their uh, network is on Moonbeam. Um, so, you know, certainly not a, a, a kind of a Cosmos exclusive uh, conversation here, but but definitely, um, you know, seeing the world through a proof of stake lens and, uh, uh, you know, the, the kind of um, the opportunities that exist in application specific blockchains, you know, each potentially secured, although, you know, with mesh security, you have the opportunity to share that security, but each potentially secured by its own proof of stake token. Um, you know, Axelar itself is a, a proof of stake network. Uh, it's a, a blockchain that connects blockchains. So uh, the AXL token is the um, the vehicle for security there. And I think, um, actually, I think Fig said it well, you know, it's it's security and it's user experience, right? Those are the two, those are the two things. People, t- people tend to think about user experience. They don't tend to think about security. But of course, uh, that's really what, what, um, what proof of stake is about at core. Um, so, you know, would love to, I mean, you know, if you want to say thanks, uh, to to Prime Protocol, to Shade Protocol, to Sommelier, uh, to Squid, and to Umi um, for for joining and chatting DeFi with us for a little bit here. Um, and uh, you know, if, if you guys want to stay on, certainly welcome to stay for the rest of the time. Although if you have to hop, of course, understand that. Um, you know, interested in kind of continuing the conversation as we move into some of the other categories here. Obviously, uh, there's plenty of overlap. Uh, so with with that said. Um, We've got three great staking projects uh, on the call here in the AMA. Uh, Persistence, I think I mentioned earlier, StakeDAO and Stride as well. Um, so why don't we um, why don't we start with just kind of going through what each of those projects does? Persistence, uh, I believe um, you guys are on the line here, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm here. Hey, hey Jerome. Hey, how's it going? All right. Hello. Great. How are very you good. Very good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I missed the question actually. Uh, as I was just switching to speaker, I actually got cut off for a bit. What was the question? Oh, the question is, what is persistence? Oh, right. <laughs> Give <Okay>. us a- <laughs> makes, <laughs> makes sense. That's a good question. Uh, like to answer that. Um, so yeah, to give a bit of context, so persistence is basically um, Cosmos-based app chain. 
uh, focused on liquid stake tokens, uh, trying to build uh, use cases, a bit of a liquid staking hub uh, around all these uh, liquid stake tokens, uh, enabling users to uh, to use vari- various like yield bearing assets uh, in various uh, strategies uh, to make the most of the DeFi opportunities that are out there uh, based on liquid stake tokens and. And so persistent is the is the actual chain, and but on top of the chain you have uh, various dApps, and one of the first dApps that was built was was Pstake. Uh, Pstake protocol um, is actually uh, went out like being multi-chain um, with the issuance of of liquid staked assets, and then besides that there's um, there's a DEX uh, focused on trading of liquid staked assets to uh, make sure that's um, done in an uh, efficient way. Um, and basically the the goal, uh, of, or basically I mean why we're Super excited about XR. I'll tell you that at the same same stages. Like we've had our fair share of like uh, cross chain and multi chain type of uh, type of apps that we've deployed. Uh, had uh, like uh, SDKE deployed on Ethereum. We actually at some point did SDK Atom uh, on Ethereum as well, and it was like very complex with all the the cross chain um, cross chain thing. There were bridges involved, uh, and we're super excited about you know, using XR in general. To take away a lot of the the bridging risk, I guess, in one way, and also like uh, literally abstract away the complexity of of uh, going and building cross chain apps and use cases. Uh, so yeah, that's it in a nutshell, I think. Awesome, that's exciting. Um, cool. Well, let's let's actually let's move through, and I think we just I think we just invited Hubert up from Staked Out. Hubert, are you there? Are you on on the stage? Maybe not. Not yet. Anyway, we're going to get Hubert up here from Staked Out in a minute. So let's let's jump into uh, Stride and what Stride is working on. Um, hey, thanks for thanks for having me on. Can you hear me? Yeah, you bet, Riley. Yeah, great. I'm great. Riley, one of the co-founders of Stride Labs. We're a contributor to Stride. Uh, Stride's an app chain that provides liquid staking for Cosmos. We offer liquid staking on a few Cosmos chains: Atom, Osmosis, Ethos, Luna, Juno, Stars, and a few others. Injective. Uh, we're adding 20 to 30 more this year, hopefully. Uh, we provide LSTs trustlessly through IBC across chains, so Axelar is a good fit for us. Um, and on top of these LSTs, there are pools on various DEXs across Cosmos. ST Atom and ST Osmos. Osmo are used as collateral for various lending protocols and stablecoins. And there's a whole world of LST Fi that's starting to come to the forefront in Cosmos. Nice. Yeah, I think, I mean, just from what we're talking about here, I think it's, it's pretty obvious that um, that the Cosmos ecosystem has like a, a pretty powerful story and perspective on this. Um, Want to hear from StakeDAO? I think Hubert, you we got you up on stage here, right? If I'm not mistaken, Hubert, can you hear me? Yes. Can I hear you? Hey. Can you guys hear me? Sorry. Yeah. Love there. No. No worries. Um, Twitter space is like something always breaks. So it does. That's, it that's, does. That's... <laughs> anyway, thanks a lot for having me. Um, yeah. Yes. Very quickly on StakeDAO. Uh, Stakedo is a decentralized app that started on Ethereum but has a, uh, say, chain agnostic approach. Uh, we have uh, two main products, um, one which is called the Liquid Lockers, which is basically um, some uh, governance token liquid staking. Um, so basically what you, you see with the liquid staking on, uh, on, on, on native blockchain uh, tokens, you can actually have the same kind of architecture for governance tokens who, who use uh, lockable tokenomics such as uh, Curve, Balancer, Frax, etc. And so that's what we do. Um, and we have a second product which is uh, called Vote Market, which is basically a new way to incentivize liquidity providing 
in a more efficient manner uh, than than the classic liquidity mining that that DeFi has seen so far. So it uses uh, what we call vote incentives. Basically, people who want to incentivize liquidity for their uh, pool uh, instead of incentivizing with their own token, they incentivize uh, directing the inflation of DEXs uh, towards their pool. And it's generally more efficient than, than the normal liquidity mining. And that's where, uh, with, uh, with Vote Market, that's where we partnered uh, uh, with Acceler to deploy a cross-chain version where protocol uh, could, uh, as, as the voting takes place on a single chain, but protocol can have their pool on different chains, uh, thanks to Acceler, we enabled um, uh, protocols to provide those vote incentives on on any chain. We started with uh, Arbitrum, and and the voters on mainnet are able to 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 go then on on Arbitrum and and claim uh, their tokens. So yep. So you kind of, you're kind of like pooling and and composing uh, incentives and rewards uh, from. From different, from different opportunities, different dexes, different DApps on on various chains, you're opening up the the sort of uh, world of um, of opportunities to do that uh, via cross chain connection. Is that yes? Basically, it's like yeah, they can of advanced way of incentivizing liquidity provision, uh, which uses like complex um, cross chain uh, reward mechanism, which is powered by Axelana. Nice. So, t I mean, let's let's talk about Ethereum versus Cosmos. Like, what's that? What's that move look like for you? How have you kind of perceived the two ecosystems differently? What are the strengths, and and kind of how can those, you know, what are the what are the trade offs, and and how can those things be combined to make, um, you know, I think, you know, certainly Soma Ye, we were talking to in the sort of DeFi portion of the AMA a minute ago, as a as a great story about like how they're, you know, sort of bringing the best of both worlds, the the DeFi activity that's on, for example, Arbitrum, as you mentioned. Hubert, and um, also the um, you know the, the kind of capabilities of adapt chain on Cosmos. What are you seeing in, in moving some of these you know the, some of these liquid staking uh, services that you're providing? You know what are you seeing in terms of differences either in community or technology? How do the two ecosystems differ, and what are the what are the real kind of great kind of synergy points that you see? Yeah, basically the reason we chose Axelar is like as I said, we we chain agnostic. Uh, we are looking very closely at Cosmos, uh, which is uh, definitely uh, one of the most promising other chains compared to, to Ethereum and more like uh, all its ecosystem of, of, uh, of chains, which is very interesting. And so we think that and we chose XLR because it's basically the, the, the solution, the cross-chain solution that enables to, to tackle also non-EVM chains and especially the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, we are a bit limited by the fact that the projects we, we work on are mainly only on EVM chains, but we believe that the tokenomics, uh, those, those DeFi tokenomics using lockable uh, governance token are very good and are going to, to be uh, replicated on other chains, uh, such as chains in the Cosmos ecosystem. And what we want is to be positioned to be able to provide those uh, liquid governance token, liquid staking services um, on those chains uh, the day such uh, such protocol 
such tokenomics appear, right? Um, with regards to the, the community, uh, we were very uh, happy with the, the, uh, the, I mean, the, the, the help we got from Axela and how the community uh, received this uh, new innovation. Um, so yes, so far, we've been uh, very pleased by being so, so welcome. Nice. That's, um, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm curious to hear kind of, you know, from now maybe with more from a more sort of cosmos centric, although I think, you know, everybody here is, is thinking multi-chain um, and, and, you know, chain agnostic, but Riley or Jaron, if you have a, you know, sort of perspective on kind of what the, you know, what, what are the chains that as you're looking out from cosmos and expanding out, what are the chains and, and ecosystems that are most interesting and compelling? What's, you know, what's going on there that's exciting to you? Obviously, you know, the Ethereum and EVM ecosystem is, is, is primary, um, any specific, um, you know, EVM chain or, or, or ecosystem there that, that you look at, or maybe beyond EVM as well, right? Uh, if you have sort of, um, you know, Polkadot or Solana, um, what what are the kind of the and I'm not asking you to you know drop any like roadmap alpha here or anything, but what are you know let's let's talk about kind of conceptually what's what's interesting that's going on out there in the multi chain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, from from our perspective at least, I think we are mostly focused on the Cosmos side, but we do have some uh, some involvement on on other chains as well, especially like on on Binance Smart Binance Smart Chain, for example, on Ethereum as well. Uh, and at some point also prepared the products even on, on uh, Solana and on Avalanche, um, but in the end, like uh, didn't, didn't launch those yet. I still have those uh, have those somewhere sitting ready. Um, but but to me, like if you look at Ethereum, I think the DeFi ecosystem is a lot more advanced than it currently is on, on the Cosmos side. Uh, yeah. I do think Cosmos has made like great progress uh, to kind of catch up, but there's still a bit of work to do. Um, that's actually one of the the reasons that back in the day, like we were relatively, I think we were actually very early with liquid staking on the Cosmos side. Uh, we were the first to actually bring out a, like an SDK atom or a liquid staked atom uh, token. And it was so early that there was no DEX on, on the uh, Cosmos side even. So we actually issued the, the staked atom on Ethereum just because there, there was a DeFi ecosystem there. We could actually uh, create pools and create, create use cases around uh, the liquid staked assets. So I do think like on the Cosmos side, um, a huge catch up is is uh, ongoing and is actually like seeing like starting to see a lot of traction with a lot of I guess a lot of the speakers that are also here I think uh, different protocols that have created use cases around them. Um, so why, why for us, that way is that is that just a kind of an incumbency advantage? You know, look the liquidity is in, in Ethereum, or, or is it is it a, a, a kind of a core you know protocol level technology advantage, or, or maybe it's just a fact that that there's more developer activity? Do, do you have a sort of a sense of you know what is it that that where, where is it that Cosmos needs to uh, improve um, in in order to to have play that catch up? I mean, I, I think, I mean, at least from, from where I stand, how I can see it's more of a timing thing. Like it just, it yeah. started on the Ethereum side and it's just like, yeah. it's starting to catch up. Uh, and now I do think like it might actually at some point, like even go faster and accelerate and overtake Ethereum at some point. I, I don't know, but uh, to me, it is more of a timing, timing thing. Um, but um, overall, like um, I think the main like use case in, in, in ours, like we're trying to promote Cosmos in general, everything around the Cosmos side. And I think the the, the biggest like um, opportunity for everything that Axelar brings with like enabling cross-chain um, and interoperability in a way is to to get more eyeballs into the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, but also like the other way around, I'm sure like it will be two way, but, but I think majorly like where more users are, 
uh, are on the Ethereum side and other EVM chains. Um, and uh, yeah, to, to kind of bring more eyeballs to the, the amazing products that many of the people in the Cosmos ecosystem are, are creating, I think Axlar will be a huge enabler. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how, how I look at things. Awesome. Awesome. Riley, uh, any last sort of thoughts on kind of um, liquid staking uh, and, um, uh, you know, sort of opportunities in the, in the interchain uh, from the Stride perspective? Yeah, yeah, of course. So we're, we're planning to use Axelar for two purposes. The first is satellite, not the purpose of this call, but kind of interesting. You can create ST assets, uh, liquid staked assets within Cosmos, and then export them to other ecosystems. Uh, this is important because no one really wants to hold Cosmos tokens outside of Cosmos. They lose out on really high staking yields. The value of their tokens gets inflated away at 20% for Atom, 30% for Osmosis, 80% for Evmos. So crazy to hold that on the EVM uh, unstaked. The flip side, though, of these high yields is that Cosmos liquid staking tokens are far more attractive to hold the native tokens. So they're a great fit to be exported with satellite. And a hidden, be hidden benefit is that institutions can often easily custody ERC-20s using existing EBM custody arrangements. So now they have a way to custom custody these Cosmos assets that they might not have on the Cosmos side. The other way that we're working with Axelar is GMP. And the idea here is we're looking at ways to issue liquid staking derivatives for assets on non-Cosmos chains using Stride. So basically, GMP allows us to extend the same interchain account and interchain queries design that we use in Cosmos, but for chains outside of Cosmos. So with GMP, Stride can basically send instructions to any POS chain outside of Cosmos, say Avalanche, to stake AVAX, unstake it, compound its rewards, and do all the things that Stride does inside of Cosmos. So with a simple connection between Stride and Avalanche, uh, facilitated by Axelar, STAVAX, a new liquid staking derivative is born. It's it's frankly like magic. Um, so this this cross chain GMP liquid staking setup has similar benefits to say uh, Somalia. You get the full control over the stack with the Cosmos SDK. At the same time, you get the liquidity of the larger ecosystem by deploying a liquid staking derivative there. The the thing that gets me most excited is if you combine this with message forwarding middleware, you have a really special user story. Uh, so call it a masterclass in user experience by Axelar. To take this example, you start in Fiat, and with a single transaction, you can onboard into an ST Osmo, ST AVAX pool position on the Trader Joe DEX with a single transaction. So under the hood, there's a lot going on orchestrated by Axelar. Maybe Cato Money onboards you to Avalanche and pings a contract on Avalanche. Maybe that's built by Squid. That contract swaps half of your USDC into AVAX and forwards that on using Axelar's connection to Stride with instructions to have those assets liquid staked into ST AVAX and returned back to the contract on Avalanche. The other half is sent to Osmosis in USDC, swapped into Osmo, forwarded to Stride to be liquid staked, and the resulting ST Osmo is forwarded back to the Avalanche contract. Now the Avalanche contract has some ST Osmo and some ST AVAX. It can send both the to trade your decks to LP them. And the user with a single click has ended up with an LP position. Um, it's how modern Web 2 UX works. And I think it's how modern Dude. Web 3 UX should work. Middleware is fucking sexy. Let's just, let's say that right now. People, people 
slag off on middleware. It's the best. <laughs> That's awesome. That was great. I mean, I, actually, I want to like circle back on that. We should get like, let's let's make sure we get that flow diagram because it sounds like a, a pretty um, innovative setup that you have there. And, and on the front end, right, as we've been talking about UX, a great user experience cool well that's i look we're, we're cutting into my my video game time here and that's pissing me off um and you know i get i get ornery if i don't get my game time uh so uh i wanted to say a big thanks to the to the folks we've heard from so far here in the room it's been a, it's been a great conversation on the staking side uh persistence stride stake dow thanks for joining um really great to hear kind of how Everybody in in that world is thinking interchain uh, and building cross chain in terms of liquid staking, um, and of course you know the DeFi groups that we heard from at the beginning of the call as well. Uh, let's get into the NFTs and games uh, before we run out of run out of time here. We've got a great group who's building cross chain uh, in the NFT and game world, um, and you know those worlds uh, don't have to necessarily overlap, right? But often they do. Uh, so we've got uh, MintDAO on, uh, and we've got Rect Gang as well. Uh, and then we've got Saga um, here as well. So let me start. Let's start with Rebecca from Saga. I see you up here at the top of the speaker list. Hello. How are you doing? Hey, Galen. I'm great. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. I'm doing well. Um, so let's start with the, the, the TLDR on Saga. Um, basic level, what are you building? Saga is the next thousand chains in the multiverse. So we are a chain to launch chains. We allow developers to automatically get onto their own dedicated block space and we're focused on gaming and entertainment. Boom. So what's what's launched so far? Like, give me an example. What what can I sink my teeth into? That's that's one of the first thousand ships. Oh my goodness! So uh, we currently have two hundred twenty four projects that are building on us. Uh, if you go to saga.xyz/innovators, um, so that's our website and that's our innovator page, you will see. I think the first one hundred sixty nine. Uh, that have started building on Saga, and then the additional cohort will be announced very shortly. Uh, but 80% of the projects that are building on us are games. Uh, so if you ask me to name some of my favorites, uh, they include Reign of Terror, Zeroverse, Link, Harvest, F-Tribe. Um, oh my god, the list goes on. Then we have animation studios that are doing NFT projects in their own right, but they're also providing a great deal of intellectual property to these games. People like Monster Truck Ninja, um, Fair Play Collective, uh, so on and so forth. So it's quite a lot. It's a big. So these, these the studios and service providers are operating in a, a kind of a decentralized fashion as well in this ecosystem. Is yeah, that right? that's right. That's right. So um, at GDC this year, we premiered something called the Saga Multiverse, uh, which is our ecosystem. It's a full stack production studio. So we've turned our ecosystem into something that's creatively cohesive. So you have the games, um, but you also have these NFT studios, animation studios that are focusing more on the art piece. We have some music projects as well that are providing sound effects and soundtracks uh, to the games. We're starting to dabble in generative AI. So not we at, at Saga, but we're inviting more and more of these projects that are uh, working primarily in generative AI and then creating these AI tokens, essentially, um, to represent artwork that has been created using using artificial intelligence. So, yeah, it's it's a really, really exciting time. People are collaborating with one another. Um, they are finding ways in which to, to do derivative works uh, and to freely license their their IP across multiple universes. And it's it's becoming a, a really vibrant ecosystem. Very cool. Um, very cool. Okay. Uh, I think we got Simon on, right, from um, from Midtown. Yes, I got it. Simon, yeah, I'm here. Hey, hey guys. Pleasure hey. meeting you. Pleasure being here with you guys here today. 
So let me just keep to the chase and I will just try to put like some information about the Mintel in a nutshell. So uh, the core of our action actually is we got our own cross-chain NFT launchpad. Uh, and this, so we are launching collections, of course, right? The second part of our activities is correlated to it because we are also helping from the software development perspective to uh, to put up the work that is needed to be done on the NFT project and or something that might be even bigger and help them to deliver all the things that they need. Uh, the third thing I would say are related to the NFT bridging. So we allow um, NFT communities to bridge their assets between different EVM chains right now and soon in the Cosmos as well. And going further, we also got like NFT Quest that is the tool to engage uh, different communities and compete with each other. And last but not least, uh, we are now working our cross-chain NFT marketplace you, uh, that for sure we also use like GMP uh, over there. So yeah, that's it very in a nutshell. Very cool. Very cool. And we've also got Rec Gang uh, anonymously, Anon from Rec Gang on the call. Rec Gang, what's up? Can you guys GM, GM. Yeah, it's Berserker. Thanks for having us, Galen. Um, yeah, we're Rec Gang cross-chain NFT project since our genesis 18 months ago. Um, we kind of believe and embrace this uh, cross-chain vision because we think NFTs are all about the art, the community, and the utility. It's not about the chain. So uh, we really love being a cross-chain NFT project. Uh, I want to talk about one thing, which is, you know, people always ask us, well, why do you want to bridge your NFT from one chain to another? Like, what's the point? Um, and I feel there's some really cool use cases. One that always comes up is obviously the liquidity that you'll have. But really, I think the most important one is the new utilities. And for instance, in Cosmos, we have some incredible DAO tooling. So if you want to have fun on DAODAO, on Juno, or maybe Enterprise on Terra, you don't have access to that on the EVM chains. That just doesn't exist. On the flip side, if you want to play in some sort of metaverse on Polygon, well, you can do that just by bridging your NFT or, or trying some NFT applications on Ethereum. You can also do that. So whatever utility you're seeking, you can kind of get it all. So basically you can have your cake and eat it too if you have a cross-chain NFT. That's very cool. And I, I mean, I think we, we need to get into some of the challenges of going cross-chain with, with NFTs. Obviously you're, you're definitely preaching to the choir here, uh, but at the same time, I think like one thing I'm interested in in terms of like this question of interoperability, especially like for games, you know, you mentioned like, okay, you want to go, you want to do sort of community and governance on Cosmos. You want to, you know, get into a game environment or metaverse environment in, uh, in Polygon. Uh, Rebecca, maybe you could speak to kind of, I mean, this has been like the dream of like web three gaming uh, for, you know, quite some time, right. This idea that, you know, you're no longer in this walled garden, you know, you're, your, your, uh, you know, the sort of digital goods uh, that you might purchase or earn uh, kind of translate into other games. And I want to just like poke at that a little bit. Like, is that real? Does anybody really want to take the diamond sword out of Minecraft and bring it into World of Warcraft? Like, does any of that really matter in terms of like portability of, I mean, you described this kind of ecosystem of like creative providers, creating NFTs, creating digital art that's growing up inside of Saga. If I'm creating something for a game, 
you know, what's the relevance of that of that NFT or object outside of the context of that one game that it's built for? And and you know, what's what's this kind of like cross pollinated ecosystem of of um, of digital goods and game experiences? You know, really look like in a in a real sense that might actually come to fruition. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I would say that. Yeah, Web3 gaming has a very unique characteristic, and I, I would apply this to NFTs as well, which is that these projects don't want to just stick to one ecosystem per se. They might have one ecosystem where the vast majority of their players and their NFT owners and their users live, but they would ideally like to expand that community of players as widely as possible, and that means going cross-chain. Uh, and so the vast majority of games that are building on Saga, they have built elsewhere already. And so they are on Polygon, they're on Ethereum, they're on Solana, Avalanche, etc. Those are probably the top four protocols where games are coming onto Saga. And for some of them, they are sufficiently frustrated with their current chain experience that they want to port onto Saga wholesale. But for many of them, um, they are totally fine staying on their particular chain where they've already built, but they want to expand their community over to Saga, and they also want the benefit of the Saga protocol functionality. Uh, and so when you have the same game that is operating across many different ecosystems, you, of course, need that cross-chain functionality. If your users don't want their game experience interrupted and they want to truly be assured that they have freedom of movement of their in-game assets, then you need to establish that cross-chain interoperability. And that's why Axelar is such an important partner to us, because we ultimately want these NFTs to be able to fly across multiverses um, and uh, cross-chain bridging that is as secure and seamless to use as Axelar is, is crucial for that. Um, so one thing that I, I haven't really mentioned yet is you know, what exactly is, is in the Saga protocol. So you all know that it's, it's all dedicated block space, but what we really emphasize, no surprise, because it's gaming, is performance. Um, even in Web2 gaming, traditional gaming, performance of the underlying infrastructure is everything. The faster chip, the faster router gets you that advantage in the game and a much more thrilling experience playing that game. Uh, and so in Web3, we wanted to, to push the performance as much as possible. Um, so we released our first private testnet, which is called Cassiopeia, Cassio for short, uh, at the end of March, so right after GDC. And... Um, the way that Saga scales is through elastic scaling. So for those of you who are familiar with AWS, for instance, you know what this is all about. Um, if you need additional performance, you're not trying to make your particular instance fatter. You are standing up multiple instances to support your application. It's the same idea on Saga. So instead of just having one chain for your game, if you are seeing that the game is, is getting a lot of traction, you need to up that performance. And so you're adding multiple chains to your particular game. So for Cassia, we pushed it all the way to 500 chainlets. Chainlets are what we call dedicated chains, um, which totals about 1.1 million TPS. Uh, we can go all the way, well, we can really, in theory, infinitely scale. We can go all the way up to 1,000, but we wanted to control costs for our validators. Uh, and so when you have that level of performance, I think that it's, it's very hard to turn down an instance on Saga um, to boost the performance of your game, regardless of whether you are on other ecosystems or not. But that's where the interoperability becomes, um, really becomes key in order to make your entire game ecosystem work. Horizontal scaling for the win. Rebecca, I, I want to say I, I, 
I appreciate a, a founder who can dodge a question and answer the question that they want to answer. So good. <laughs> I'll come back and we'll talk about and we'll talk about game interoperability another time. I want to <laughs> I want to um, I actually want to go to Simon because something that, that Zerker was talking about, you know, it's like I, people want to take their NFTs cross chain. Like I could see that. I think that's probably like a, a nascent uh, demand, right? Like, um, you know, people still in, in the world of Web3 think of things as being kind of ecosystem specific. But Simon, talk talk about. I mean, Mintow, you've been doing this for a little while in terms of cross chain NFTs and thinking about it. What are the difficulties like for somebody who's new to that idea that an NFT could move cross chain? Is that just as simple as moving my USDC cross chain, or are there other nuances? And what are the kind of challenges that are involved when it comes to moving um, a non fungible token uh, between chains? Yes. So, Gan, that's actually the one of the best questions that we can answer here because you know that people. Uh, you know, because in the case of bridging and moving the NFTs that are cross-chain, and we got like a few insecurities that we need to handle. You know, the first one that our bridge uh, is like killing a few of those, to be honest with you. And you need to make sure that you will not make like a double NFTs on the two different chains, right? Because if you'll make this kind of a situation, it means that something went wrong, right? But I think that's one of, that's the biggest fear on that end from, from our perspective. So let's i would say that's 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 the one got it and then on on uh, on your side rec gang like thoughts about kind of what um you know risks or, or challenges like difficulties when it comes to nfts cross chain keep it as you know explain like i'm five right like um obviously we, you know we're in a room here where we're all thinking about this a lot but um what are the you know what are sort of the obstacles there yeah there's i can't explain higher than five so it's perfect that you're asking me this question uh but yeah i, I would say education is one of the most difficult things to do uh especially considering if your nft is on one of the edm chains and then you want to bring people to the cosmos they got to create a new wallet they got to you know set up all these things that they're not familiar with and really sometimes they just don't have that motivation so i guess kind of educating them on how to set up on a new chain and what is available on that new chain that can be interesting for them also uh outside of that educational piece you can't just bridge an nft collection to a chain without making some friends first and and that also takes time right like you know if you just bridge to a chain and they're you're like hey we're here people are gonna be like who are you I, you know i don't know about you so yeah, are you, that relationship are you subtweeting out. anybody there is that is yeah, that yeah, yeah. So, so, so you gotta build out these relationships with these new communities you know make friends onboard people that that all takes time i think it's all super fun uh, but it's just time consuming, but I think it's, it's worthwhile. Yeah. Well, and you've seen it, I mean, you've seen it, right? Like uh, the, the most recent, like most high profile, right. Was the move, uh, from, um, from, uh, uh, from Solana to Polygon, right. Utes, yeah. And that's I've certainly been on the community side, right. On the, on the social layer, that's been a, um, you know, I say challenging, right. You see the, I mean, you know, the social layer is always challenging, but, um, it's a good point, right. The social layer abides. And, and any of these kind of cross-chain things that you might be doing have to be, uh, you know, you have to take into account, you know, how does the community translate, right? Yeah, and one more thing, I think, from the technical end, uh, I would say that is related to some kind of uh, going a bit deeper into the NFTs. I would say that we can just add the parameters that are sometimes hidden in the NFTs. But for example, if you got like NFT with some kind of a pending rewards or stuff like that, 
you need to make sure that it will go in a proper way to the new chain or your desired chain. Cool. Well, let's, we got a couple more minutes here, Rebecca, last word. I, I want to wrap up with just a kind of a general question. I know you, you know, you're talking earlier about, um, sort of, th- you know, fast throughput being the, the necessary kind of uh, protocol level capability, uh, for games. And I certainly don't, don't disagree. Um, but, but curious, you know, in your, in your thought about like what, what is developing on Saga? What are the kind of, um, and I, I know you think about this because we, you know, we, I've, I've heard you speak about it at Interop Summit and, and elsewhere. Um, what, what are the real sort of, uh, you know, value propositions to the player, right? Uh, what, are, what are the sort of the features to the player that are going to, um, you, you know, bring forward adoption as you're looking at all the many things that are happening in that ecosystem? Um, you know, what, what sort of looks like the signal that's going to, uh, you know, lead to kind of an adoption of Web3 gaming that goes beyond people who are already sort of, you know, interested in Web3 in the first place? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I think the, the way to think of it is, um, you know, people have been thinking of Web3 gaming primarily so far as Web2 gaming, but with some in-game assets. And it's, it's a nice way to dip your toe into Web3 gaming. <laughs> But really what we're trying to do is, you know, we recognize that we're at that inflection point for the space. And so we're trying to push forward into a new medium of gaming. So in the same way that free-to-play absolutely changed the entire industry, I think Web3 is going to change the entire industry with a sort of decentralized control of um, content and ownership of in-game assets. So we've, uh, Galen, when you frame the question of, okay, what is the value proposition of having a sword on World of Warcraft being able to be transferred to another game or another instance of World of Warcraft. I think it's it's the sort of thing where it really is about the player having freedom and movement of their NFTs at the end of the day. If they've worked hard for those in-game assets, then they want to be able to use them however they like. And in-game functionality is certainly a part of that. Um, I think right now the commercial decision for a game, say World of Warcraft, to open up themselves to assets from RuneScape, for instance, and vice versa, is just not really there because the technology isn't there to enable it. But when you do have the technology to enable it and your community furthermore has that same, has the same access to that technology and can pressure from their own perspective, then then you have some movement there and you're able to, to go ahead and create that value as soon as the community wills that value into existence. Um, The other thing I'll mention is it's not just about functionality Functionality. of the in-game assets. It's also about liquidity. So um, honestly, you know, I I think one of the biggest use cases for Axelar on Saga in the immediate future is because we are EVM compatible, the assets that are generated on Saga need to be discoverable on OpenSea. That is something that a lot of our games request. Uh, and so it's using a protocol like Axlar that they're able to, to be discoverable. So they get all the benefits of the performance, um, the flexibility of the user experience uh, on the Saga protocol, but ultimately the in-game assets are discoverable elsewhere for that additional liquidity. There will be marketplaces on Saga, of course. There are native NFT marketplaces for Avalanche, Polygon, these other partners of ours. But I mean, ult- you want to go to the biggest bizarre of all. Right. Uh, and and that is is definitely something that we look forward to to providing. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a really exciting time to be in and, this space. And with that kind of interoperability, go the other direction as well. You might be sort of inviting somebody from an established NFT community to participate in your game at, at you know, elite mm-hmm. status or something like that. I think that those kinds of opportunities to kind of guerrilla you know, sort of, par- you know, parachute into um, to established ecosystems and and drink some drink drink somebody's milkshake, as it were. Uh, <laughs> not, not in a you know, 
Oh no, I think I've lost you. Galen, you're still there? I think so. Okay. Are you still there? Okay, yeah, good. <laughs> I can hear you now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I you know, I feel like um that's that's the kind of a, you know, you're gonna see that kind of activity come up as well with small projects, you know, innovating and being able to kind of climb over moats in that way. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, this has been great. I know we're we're sort of at time and I don't want to I don't want to eat up any more time here. I know folks have other things to get to. I know Rebecca, you got another AMA right after this. Um so so thanks very much to everybody who came on today. Great projects working in the interchain uh on this uh gaming and NFT track that we've been on here, Mint Dow, Wrecked Gang, and Saga. Thanks so much to all of you for joining. Really appreciate having you here for this part of the conversation. One of the most fun of the of the three topics that we covered, in my humble opinion, um, uh, on staking that we covered earlier. If you if you're just coming in for this gaming portion and missed the talk on staking and DeFi, we had Persistence, StakeDAO, and Stride talking on staking earlier. That was actually fascinating. We heard about some fascinating uh, cross chain flows there and user experiences uh, that I certainly hadn't imagined um in, in the liquid staking universe so definitely worth uh, going back over and, and listening to again even for those of us who were here i certainly will be doing that uh and on the DeFi portion where we started out we had a great group uh prime which just launched this week went to mainnet uh prime protocol strongly recommend folks check out the uh, cross-chain lending that's available there shade protocol bringing privacy features into DeFi cross-chain uh and then sommelier bringing strategies sort of another kind of a a, a very a specific focus and you know, kind of excellence on one thing, which is providing strategies in DeFi and, and plugging those into um, DeFi uh, ecosystems, no matter what chain they're on. Uh, Squid, of course, facilitating liquidity flows cross-chain. And UMI, uh, another excellent uh, lending protocol that's been live uh, for a little longer out, out in the world doing things cross-chain and, um, and working with Axelar really well to deliver that user experience there. So. Um, I know that's a mouthful, but we have a lot of great projects working on GMP, um, and really glad to get um, to get everybody um, uh, to, to get everybody here together. Anybody who has you know questions on any of these projects and wants to connect, certainly the um, the individual discords you can access via the Twitter, uh, and you can always come into the Axelar Discord as well, uh, or the Telegram. Uh, where we, you know, where we have a, a lot of great conversations going and follow up happening there as well. So thanks again to everybody. I'm going to wrap it up here. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was Cosmos EVM Interoperable Family, hosted by Axelar Network, recorded on Thursday, May 11th, 2023. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And like Taoism, there's this principle in like Taoism where it's like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, like just inevitably it kind of starts to happen. There's this principle in like Taoism where it's like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, inevitably it kind of starts to happen. Tripping on the third app, listening to nerds flap, wondering why the fuck my timeline's so cursed. It's like everybody's holding heavy bags in Web3. That's why they can't fly, they just drowning in the bird bath Fishing for some dry powder, watch how we ignite the tower Blowing up their bank accounts, forgetting how to fight the power Y'all don't even realize how deep this shit goes They preaching open sauce, but don't listen to the code And now it's mutiny, community uprise There's no 
no more humility, futility, plus size. Motherfuckers leaking from the wrench down to the bare metal. Which side the line you bleeding out on when the dust settles? Motherfucking west side shit, needle and noose. Sticking with my armory, yam, beta, and bruise. Repping psychedelic artistry, believing the truth. Like these motherfuckers even need a reason to sue? GM fam. Is it really worth all the fighting? Is it really worth all the drama? And the answer, I think, is a clear no. We started using Zoom, now we finna zoom out Teaching all these plebidites what this game's really all about Little baby bitches when they choose to have fits All you're left with is kibble when you lose all them bits And that kibble's just sawdust, The shit is all rust Not a great look, you're what we'd call all nuts And I for one did not see that coming Cracking open books, yo, that's a lot of money Meanwhile over here rewiring features More critical thinking, huh? Less knee jerk, more evolution, less shit coin Preachers pretending to be teachers Y'all just predatory leeches I mean please, just look at the track record A bunch of VC rat fucks Sucking up the cheddar, the recipe is two steps Rinse and repeat, now we all in your butts And we bring in receipts GM fam, have a seat If you're listening to this, my, my plea to you would be like don't have, don't, don't have to take a side on it Just say like, is it really, really worth this war of attrition? It might cost us a lot more than what can be gained by like fighting this to the better end. And sometimes it's better to just like move on. Terror spaces.